is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hi there, my name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 94 for Monday, November the 5th, 2012. Wow, 94 already, eh? 94, we're creeping closer to 100. It will happen during the hiatus at some point. Mm-hmm. And uh, should there should be some sort of large-scale celebration. You think so? Uh, I, there it, should be. It might happen. There probably won't be, but no. I'm just saying there should be. It'll be a surprise. Think about think about 100 episodes at, you know, let's say average an hour each. Yep. That's a lot of time. We've it, sat here talking to random people on the internet. Almost 100 hours. Almost. Maybe more. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? I, I did that math in my head. That's pretty uh, swift of yeah. you there. Good, sir. Uh, happy Guy Fox Day. Oh, cool, Guy Fox. It is actually today. I'm not going to say remember, remember the 5th of November. Okay. Because, you know, everyone expects me to say that, so I'm not going to do it. But it is Guy Fox Day, mostly celebrated in Britain. Right. Uh, but also known in North America because of V for Vendetta. All right. So what uh, what's the history behind Guy Fox Day? Do you know? Uh, not off the top of my head, and I didn't go to the Wikipedia page to look it up. All right. Guy Fox. It's, uh, How do you spell it? He, he foiled some sort of gunpowder or some sort of plot to blow up the parliament buildings in Britain, if I'm not mistaken, which I very well could be. Right. So... Uh, that's so what before it, it gets to his story, I'm like, a guy, Fox was born on blah, blah, blah. He was born and educated in New York. Early life, military career, okay, blah, blah, blah. I don't know what uh, Guy Fox Day is all about. All right. Well, <clears throat> had, had we not had such a giant action-packed like podcast to do right now, I would have gone and looked it up more. But I think instead, we should just wish everyone a good Guy Fox Day and uh, move right on. Oh, I got the sentence right here. <laughs> Okay, forget so, <laughs> it then. Let's let's do this. Fox became synonymous <laughs> with the gun pl- gunpowder plot, uh, in the failure of which has been uh, commemorated in England since the fifth of November, sixteen o five. His effigy is traditionally burned in a bonfire, com- uh, commonly accompanied by a fireworks display. So I think he was a bad guy if I, he was burned in effigy. Okay, I could have been. See, I don't know. He probably, I don't know what the gunpowder plot was, but uh, okay, so this is just a deeper mystery that uh, we don't have time to get into. Yeah, and I failed as my uh, duty here to inform people of of obscure and interesting holidays. Not that this is obscure, but it's certainly interesting. And unknown to me. And unknown to us. So uh, instead, let's do this. The Walking Dead News. Okay, so it's news time, and during the season, news generally consists of ratings discussion, right. and that's what we're going to do right here. For cool. episode three, which was called Walk With Me mm-hmm. last week, it got 10.509 million viewers at the 9 p.m. broadcast. Wow. Not bad at all. Broke the big 10-0. 10-0? The big 10 million. The, the one. The, the 10 Yeah. That's up 10% from episode two, and less than 400,000 shy of season three, episode one. Wow. So it nearly hit the same level as the first episode of this season. And that was that just was that just a single airing? Yeah, that was the nine o'clock one. That was just the nine o'clock <laughs> one. So it wasn't people calling up and say, hey, holy crap, you got to see this. You know, go to your AMC television station right now and watch it because it's airing again. Uh, no, no. If you combine the nine, 10, and midnight broadcasts, you get 16.2 million. Wow. 
So they are doing a-okay. Now so they called six million of their friends. That's right. And uh, said, hey, holy crap, you got to see this. Tune in right now. Yeah. Go do it. Um, now, I don't remember if we talked about this or not. We probably did right before the season started. And that is that The Walking Dead is back on Dish. Yep. We certainly talked about it on the Facebook page with some fans. And so, you know what? I think the first episode of this season missed out on the Dish bandwagon. Yeah. And they came back for number two. Just in time for number two. That's right. So, you know, that helps. Like within an hour. Yeah, it was <laughs> it was uh, it was right inside the wire there. Yeah, it really was. Um, so that certainly helps. But the premiere was still the biggest episode of all time, right. and it wasn't even on Dish. If it had been, I wonder. I mean, how much more it would have would have you know how much how many more viewers it would have gotten? I uh, do not know. Some, anyways, I guess. Uh, so there you go. Uh, ratings are still fantastic. The only thing that beats this show in the ratings is football. And uh, that's one of those things that it'll just never yeah, get Football to. beats everything. Football beats everything, yeah. exactly. It's rock, paper, scissors, football, and football always wins. <laughs> <laughs> always choose football. Yeah. Nothing beats football. Nothing beats football. Uh, okay, let's do our recap of this week's episode called Killer Within. We're going to start this recap with a call from Kevin in Portland, Oregon, um, and I'll explain after you listen to this. Okay. Hey, gentlemen. My name's Kevin from Portland, Oregon. I'm responding to Tom's comment about making references to the comic book. I think that's a little BS. Uh, because of you guys and this show, I broke down and bought the first uh, 100 comics and read them all. I thought they were amazing. So I say keep making the references because it makes for people like me who've actually read the comics and others. I think it's a little appreciated to say, oh, okay, that was in the comics. Anyways, you guys have a nice day, and I'll come a gosh. All right, so um, last week, or was it two weeks ago? I, it was uh, maybe after our last podcast. We got a, an email from a listener who said he didn't want to hear any more comic talk during the recaps because it was kind of irrelevant and it was spoilery for people who don't read the comics. Right. <clears throat> um, and I guess at the time I thought, that's a great idea, so we'll cut that out of the podcast. We don't need, <laughs> I don't want to spoil it for everyone. Uh, however, the listeners have spoken and I got a number of emails and calls and so on to say, no, 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 that's not right. We want that stuff in there. So what I did is I went to Facebook and I posted a question, a Facebook question as to whether we should con continue sort of comparing the comic to the TV show whenever it's relevant. Right. And the overwhelming response was that we should in fact continue doing that. So, um... You know, seventy-two versus four from the last count. Yeah, so and that was October thirtieth that you posted that, so it was after last week's episode. It was, yeah. yeah. So in in six days, uh, what was it? Seventy-two to four. Seventy-two saying we should have lots of comic talk during the recaps. Four votes for minimal or no comic talk, and uh, nine <laughs> votes for no comic talk during the recaps, but do a separate segment. Still overwhelmingly uh, in favor of just keeping it in there. Yeah. So based on that, we are going to keep it in there. Sorry, full disclosure, one of those 74 is me. All right, so 73. <laughs> 73, You're not to supposed fair. to vote. No, I know that. <laughs> uh, but anyways, we're going to keep it in there. Um, we will definitely try to, you know, pre-announce spoilers. We'll try not to spoil the comic, although we will make comparisons. We will talk about it. And uh, I apologize to anyone who sort of is upset with that, but... 
you know, we got to do what we got to do. Right. So with that out of the way, let's recap Killer Within. So we cold open on a mystery man picking up a gas tank and then dragging a dead deer along behind him. I think it was a mystery deer following a uh, some dude. Uh, the deer was dead, so it wasn't doing very much following of its own. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was, though. Okay, fine. <laughs> mystery deer following mystery man. Mystery dead deer following right. a guy. Uh, and uh, he drags this stuff into the prison, and he's luring zombies into the prison with the dead animal carcass. Mm-hmm. We don't see who this person is. Nope. All we see is feet and legs, pretty much from the knees down, I yep. would say. Um, now, while zombies are feasting on the deer, he or she cuts some fence chains with an axe, and he leaves the deer's heart, I guess it looked like. It was a heart. It was a heart. I'm going to go with the deer's heart. Uh, yeah, I would think it would be the deer's heart. He leaves it in, o- in an open gate uh, as bait to lure walkers in, yeah. I guess. Um, and uh, we go to the credits. So we don't know what's going on at this point. No, Some mystery person is doing something weird with a dead deer around the prison. Yeah. <clears throat> when we, uh, after the credits, we come and Rick, T-Dog, and Daryl, and Carol are moving cars into the inner yard. Mm-hmm. Just to organize them, I guess. Organizing, getting the cars ready in case they need them to, to get out of there. They want them inside the fence rather than having to fight through the zombies to get to the cars that are outside the fence. That does make a lot of sense. And pointing them out so they can just hop in and drive. They don't have to do a three-point turn That's or right. anything like that. Makes sense. They're thinking. They're also talking about burning bodies so yep. to get rid of them. That also makes a lot of sense. And uh, they realize that Glenn and Maggie are doing it in the guard tower. <laughs> Where, where's Glenn and Maggie? They're in the guard tower. They were just in uh, there last night. Again? <laughs> They're young. They're in love. What are they going to do? Yeah. Uh, it's the apocalypse. It's the apocalypse. You're in a prison guard tower. Where else are you going to go? Exactly. Uh, you know, it's like doing it in a hotel at the top of Niagara Falls. Is it? I don't know. Why not? It's high okay. up. You have a view you see over the falls. The, yes, you can see the falls. Yeah. You have a view of everywhere. Uh, Daryl yells up... Uh, are you coming to, to help? <laughs> yeah. Is what he meant. Glenn, you coming? <laughs> and they all have a good laugh. Yeah. Which was nice. It, it was nice to funny. see everyone just having a laugh and, you know, not having such a bad day. If you can't laugh at young people while they're having sex, what's the point? What can you laugh at, really? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, T-Dog then suddenly notices that Axel and Oscar come walking out. Yeah. These are the two prisoners that remain alive and were living in cell block D? Somewhere else. Somewhere else. Another cell block. Uh, They all, Rick and everyone, heads up there to have a chat. And Axel and Oscar tell them that they don't want to stay in the prison anymore. There are too many people they knew, and they can't bring the bodies out because a fence is down at the other side. And every time they bring a body out, walkers just start coming in. Right. Um, they beg them to be let out and become part of the group, which I kind of felt for the guys at this moment. I mean, yeah. all their friends were killed. They're living there all by themselves. They have no help. They got no food or not much food. Yeah. I would find it very upsetting to have to live amongst the dead bodies of my friends. Especially because they've been lying there for up to eight or nine months. Oh yeah. Eight months. Dead. I mean, those bodies are pretty nasty by now. Super ick. Yeah, exactly. And they can't, they can bring them out one at a time. That's all they can do. So yeah. um, they beg to be let uh, into their group, but Rick says no, either they can live in the cell block or leave. Yep. Uh, at this point, Oscar kind of gives them a, gives a bit of a monologue here about uh, how they'd rather hit the road and leave than go back into that shithole. Well, that makes sense. I would definitely be rather be on the road than living amongst eight-month-old 
dead bodies of my friends. You know, I think so, but it's it's a tough call because even though it's pretty bad conditions in the prison, you're safer than you are out in the wilderness somewhere. Oh, they don't know that, though. Well, they don't really know that. They but don't even know by what now, the conditions are out there. They might have started to realize it, but I guess they don't. I guess they don't. Um, so this kind of seems to appeal to Rick a little bit. He turns to look at Daryl and Daryl just shakes his head. Nope. So Daryl is, he's steadfast Mm -hmm. in his, uh, resolve to not let those guys join the group. Um, but they go to talk about it and T-Dog is the only one who thinks they can, uh, successfully bring them into the fold. Well, they can be helpful. They could be helpful. Extra pair of hands. He's kind of talking like Dale used to talk. You think so? If, if you if you think about it, like he's sort of the one guy who's like, why don't we give them a chance? Is that foreshadowing? Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought so, but maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. But he's, you know, D- Dale was the conscience of the group when they had Randall. He's yep. the only one saying we should help this guy, and now T Dog is saying he's the only one saying we should help these guys. They could be useful. They could be useful. But uh, Rick tells a story about a kid he arrested when he was a rookie cop. And this kid suckered the jury and was let off. Two weeks later, he got out and shot somebody. So uh, Rick decides that the deal with them stands. They can either leave or go back to their cell block. Right. Now, he was. Uh, what didn't make sense to me when Rick was telling the story was he said that he, uh, he uh, suckered the jury and eventually was released because there wasn't enough evidence. That's not a jury decision. Uh, I know. It didn't that's, quite... that's a lawyer. That's a court decision. That's not a. That's not an acquittal. It didn't quite make sense, but I think his point was taken that you can't, uh, you can't trust anybody, right? More or less. It would, <laughs> if they didn't have enough evidence, it wouldn't have gone to trial in the first place. But that's just from watching Law and Order. I really don't know what uh, reality is like. Yeah, the the point is, um, somebody said one thing and did another, right? And uh, that's what they're worried about. These prisoners doing if they let them join the group. They figure the first thing they'll do is try to steal their weapons and kill them or right. whatever. All right, so Rick's uh, philosophy now is kill them all, let God sort them out. That's right. Yeah. Was that a Metallica album? I, I, I don't... I think it was a saying from Vietnam, maybe. Oh, all right. <laughs> the Metallica album was just kill them all, I think. Yeah. Anyways. I, I don't have uh, my Metallica trivia on the tip of my tongue. Oh, you don't? Come on, man. <clears throat> so we go to Woodbury now. <clears throat> Michonne is walking around the vehicles that they stole from the army guys last episode, checking them out. She notices bullet holes, fresh blood on one of the Jeeps. You can tell she's thinking, something isn't quite right here, which she's been doing the entire time, to be fair. Uh, She uh, went right up to that machine gun and opened up the uh, the belt-feeding mechanism thing like she knew exactly what she was doing. That wasn't her first time touching a machine gun. (sighs) Yeah, well... I, I've seen machine, me. I've seen lots of machine guns on TV. Yeah. I've never actually fired one. I've never touched one. I wouldn't know. Like I know that you, that something on the top opens up where you put in the belt and it's all belt fed. But if I had seen that, I wouldn't know how to open up that thing. Well, no, I I guess I wouldn't have either. But I think what she was doing was checking to see if it had been fired, right? Recently, because if it, but I mean, still. Yeah, she okay. knew what she was doing. I'm just saying that there's something in her background leads me to believe that uh, she knows what she's doing around a machine gun that's on a pintle mount. So she's she's a samurai sword expert and a machine gun chick. Uh, she's at least has <laughs> a minimal knowledge in uh, machine guns. She read a book once. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, but she she's obviously suspicious. Yes. That's that's the point. And the governor, as she comes off the uh, off the jeep, he he walks up and she confronts him on all of these things, basically on a bunch of stuff. And he conveniently has an explanation for everything. Well, yeah. Um, you know, there's lots of bullet holes. Did biters figure out weapons? She says, "Why didn't one of them try to drive away?" And the governor's like, "Well, you know what." They didn't, and that's the way it is, and uh, she clearly doesn't trust him. No. Clearly. We go back to the prison. They're still moving cars around, and uh, they've decided to give the prisoners a week's worth of supplies and send them on their way. T-Dog is still upset by this decision. Yeah, that box of food was not <laughs> enough food for two people for a week, for seven days. Uh, well, it might have been. No. You don't need a lot of food to survive. I know, but they would have starved with that amount of food. There was not enough food in that box for two people for seven days. I'm just telling you. Okay, well, let's put it this way. How many cans of beans do you need for two people to survive for seven days? Well, I don't know. Three? I will try. Not many. Like I'll, I'll you... buy some beans on the way home, and I'll let you know. All right, fine. Next, next week. No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. Come here next week. You'll be 20 <laughs> pounds lighter, and all you've eaten is one can of beans in seven days. Yeah. Uh, okay, so maybe there wasn't enough food, but that was the that was the arrangement. So yeah. they seem to be uh, okay with it. Um, Axel is trying to appeal to Daryl by offering to work on his motorcycle. Hey, yeah, I know, I know bikes. I can fix up your bike. Just let us stay. Come on. Yeah, he, uh, yeah. He throws out some jargons about uh, you got two cylinders. Why you didn't want to bore that out? Your yeah. something somethings are leaking. I can help you tune that up. Yeah, blah blah blah. I don't know bikes. No, neither do I. Um, all I uh, I saw on the internet the other day that all I know is that jet skis should actually be called motorcycles. Yes, I agree with that. I saw that on the internet too, and I absolutely wholeheartedly agree and endorse that. <laughs> it has nothing to do with motorcycles <laughs> except that it's funny. It is funny. Uh, but um, T- um, Daryl is not buying in. He's like, forget it. You guys are done. <clears throat> Inside the prison, Lori and Beth bring crutches for Herschel. Yep. And uh, he gets up, and along with Carl, they walk him outside. Yeah, now, there's not a chance in hell that after... How many days has it been since his leg was cut uh, off? Two. Two. There's Max. no way he's getting out of bed. Listen, people in this universe recover quickly. It's just the way it is. Who's had this kind of injury that they've recovered in two days? It's, well, TV universe, first of all. They just recover quickly. Lost, they explained it. The uh, island has special right. healing properties. So the prison has special healing properties. I mean, zombies have soft heads. People in... Humanity has soft heads in this universe. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But a man who's had his leg chopped off does not get up after two days. People, even in the comic book, people seem to recover quickly. Uh, There have been some horrific injuries in that that, I mean, it's not quite as clear that not very much time has passed in the comic, but they get up after taking some shots to various parts of their upper body, and they seem to be up and at them before you know it. I think people in this universe have a little bit of a healing factor. Maybe I'm that's what it is. Skeptical. <laughs> they have the power of a script. Well, I did make a note here that Herschel seems to be doing pretty well. He's yes, he a tough old bugger. And uh, it, I thought it was also funny that he takes two steps. He's not even out of the prison cell yet, and Lori's like, "Why don't you take a rest?" <laughs> well, yeah, because just just getting up is hard. I was skeptical when he first sat up. Yeah. Okay. As soon as he sat up, I'm like, "Whoa." He sat up, and then he's getting out of bed, and he's got crutches, and he's walking out of the prison. I don't, yeah, I, I had a big problem with this. It doesn't bother me. I, I can suspend my disbelief for this because it's it's a it's a necessary, you know, it's a necessary thing on TV that people just can't be lying in bed for days and days and days. It would be super boring. Well, yeah, you write, have to write the character off for you know 
10 weeks, right. which is hard to do it's, in television land. Exactly. I mean, even when there's enough characters that you could focus on other people, you know, he gets he gets his leg chopped off, he's lying in bed, and then, you know, something happens and he just gets eaten by zombies lying in bed. How, you know, sort of lame would that be? That would be pretty lame. So anyways, he's up and he's walking around and he, uh, they, they take him outside. But we go to Woodbury, we see Andrea and Michonne talking about where to go because they're still planning on leaving. Michonne says the coast. And Good they'll, idea. They'll find a boat. They should take a train to the coast. Yeah, they should. This is uh, this is a common theme in zombie fiction. Uh, always go to the coast, or there's always somebody who wants to go to the well, coast. Well, yeah, it makes sense. Maybe they'll find an island. Well, that's what she says. Yeah. Find a boat, maybe find an island somewhere. We'll be good. Um, Andrea kind of questions her because what if the coast isn't safe? What are we going to do then? And and she says that Michonne's gut tells her something is off about Woodbury and the governor. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michonne says, well, my gut hasn't failed us yet. Yep, <laughs> kept us alive this far. That's right. Back at the prison, Glenn is giving food to the prisoners. Hey, this is where he gives them the food. Oh. Anyways, this is where he gives them the food, the right. two weeks' worth of food, or the week's worth of food, I mean. that You know, that box is not enough food for two people <laughs> for seven days. <laughs> but wait a minute. What if there are <laughs> enough beans? How many? Ca- oh, all right. Anyway. Uh, so they're getting ready to go. He goes out with Rick and Daryl outside the fence to get some firewood. That's Glenn, I mean, goes yep. out, the three of them. Um, Herschel and the gang are coming outside. He almost falls down the stairs. Yep. Uh, but he doesn't. He recovers. Herschel says it's starting to look like a place they could really live. Oh. Har. Um, everybody, Don't think bad thoughts. Uh, why not? Because that's just a kiss of death. Well, they weren't thinking bad thoughts. Herschel was like, hey, they cleaned up. This could be somewhere we could really stay. Oh, or don't think good thoughts. That might be the, that case. That, that might that's be. That's what I meant by bad thoughts is don't start thinking, hey, this could be really cool. Uh, Got it's it. looking uh, looking darn good. We're going to be safe here for a while. Everything will be fine, guys. Yeah. Uh, everybody has a good look at Herschel and is clearly feeling pretty good about things. You know, there's all little smiles on their face like, hey, Herschel's up and walking. Everything's going to be great now. Uh, even Rick and Lori share kind of a, a, a nice look at each other. Yep. You know, they Rick had is... A, they had a good look. They had a moment. Rick is kind of feeling like, you know, maybe she's not all bad. She's she's helped Herschel and, uh, you know, given time, maybe we can reconnect. I think we're going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, and then, suddenly, walkers come from behind them, inside the prison fence, and uh, mayhem ensues. Mm-hmm. Suddenly there are walkers there. So we go back to the cold open. We see that someone was luring walkers in and opening the fences that they had changed shut. And this is what happened. Yep. Did you, hear, did, did you notice the music at this point? No. It sounded like a heartbeat. There was a heartbeat back, uh, backbeat to it. It was really neat. Well, it's... Uh, it go was... listen to the music in this scene. It was really cool. All right. There was some good music in this episode overall, mm-hmm. actually. Uh, but I, I didn't pay attention to it at this point. What I did like about this scene is they did it in uh, without a cut, or at least without a perceivable cut. We see a shot of Herschel and Laurie and Carl and Beth, I guess, coming out. Um, and he's kind of walking slowly. And you can see behind them into the sort of... Uh, prison yard area behind them and the camera kind of pans across them a little bit and then it turns so you can't see back there and then it turns again as it goes past Carl and then suddenly all the zombies are there so they sort of came out of nowhere it was really nice but it was it was done pretty well I thought yeah I liked it so this is where the episode picks up and we could recap the rest but I might as well just say oh my god (laughs) and that's it all right (laughs) 
No, what happens is everybody inside the fence starts shooting. Rick, Daryl, and Glenn are running to help, but they're way far away behind two or three fences. And yeah, and a bunch of locked gates. Bunch of locked gates. So they have, you know, they're just going to take some time to get there. There was a tremors moment here. Have you ever seen, ever seen Tremors? Yeah, a couple times, but not for years. Okay, you ever know in Tremors, there's three main characters. There's uh, Kevin Bacon and another guy and then some uh, lady that was happened to be in the, in the valley. Uh, a number of times, they needed the lighter, and whoever needed the lighter didn't have the lighter. Somebody else would have the lighter. So in this case, whoever uh, needed the keys... Somebody else had them, so they had. The, uh, Glenn had the keys, but he stayed behind in order to seal up the gate. So when they, uh, when Rick got to the first uh, locked section, he needed the keys, so they had to relay the keys. Uh, uh, Glenn threw them to Daryl, and Daryl threw them to Rick, and then they uh, were able to open it up. So I thought I reminded me of Tremors. It's like where are the keys? Oh, we got to get them from somebody it, else. It was a bit of a keys relay toss. There. Yeah, that was good. Uh, Go watch Tremors. All right. I haven't seen it in a long time, but I do remember loving that movie as a teenager. Okay, good. (laughs) So Herschel and Beth get safe behind a fence. Um, It's sort of a gated off door to the prison, I guess. So if someone gets out the door, they can't get out the fence. There's lots of gates in this yard. Lots. But they get safe in there. And Lori, Carl, and Maggie flee into the prison. Uh, but there are walkers in there, too. There is. There are Look suddenly out. walkers everywhere. So they run down a dark hall and shut the gate behind them. Right. And that's all we see of them for now. Nobody walked backwards, <clears throat> which was nice. Uh, no, they didn't, eh? No. They looked where they were going? Yeah, that's right. All it's right. It's very important. So T-Dog is is out there because he was parking cars. Him and, uh, him and Carol... T-Dog's closing a fence as best he can, but a walker sneaks up behind him and bites him in the shoulder. Yeah. So T-Dog is bitten. Yes, he is. Uh, He's kind of upset about this, but he shrugs the walker off, and then him and Carol flee into the prison Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, We'll talk more about T-Dog in a minute. Woodbury, we go there. We see Andrea and Merle, and uh, she's giving him a map to the farmhouse. Right. She's clearly... um, Trying to be Mrs. Helpful here. Yeah, she's very uh, she's very friendly. She's extremely friendly. She's drinking the tea, I think. Merle asks, "How come they ever they never hooked up?" <laughs> well, you called me a whore and a rug muncher <laughs> and a r- carpet muncher. Okay, I wrote down rug carpet. Same thing. <laughs> uh, interesting, <laughs> w- weird scene. This was a weird scene for me, you know, because yeah. they, like they're they're being so friendly, and then he says something like that, yeah. and it doesn't phase her at all. She's like, she's still super friendly. She's like, well, you know, we would have if you didn't call me a whore. Like, <laughs> this is weird. The it, whole thing just struck me as odd. It's the tea. I'm telling you, it's the tea she's been drinking. Yeah, she's open to suggestion, clearly. Yeah. Um, so Merle is going to go off with the map to the farmhouse. He asks Andrea to go with, uh, with him. And they kind of imply in this scene that Andrea is feeling abandoned by the group, just like Merle was. Right. So that's partly, I think, why she's trying to be so helpful to Merle. She's like, well, they took off on me, too. Well, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't think I quite got that from this scene mm, myself. Because she said, I'm sure they came back for me, but I didn't stick around to find out. Uh, that's true. But I think deep down she's feeling like, you know, I wasn't that far away. Why couldn't we find each other again? And you were abandoned. You may have been a dick, sure, yeah. and I'm not. But, but we, that, we both got abandoned or separated from this group, so I'm kind of with you here. But she also knows that uh, they didn't necessarily abandon Merle either. 
they went back for him. Mm-hmm. So she knows that uh, that this group will go back for people they've left behind. So I I don't I'm not sure I got that from this scene. Mm. I mean I'm, I I think that uh, Merle tried to convince her that you know we got this in common. They this group left us both behind. But I I'm not entirely sure that she uh, she was won over by that argument. Well I don't know. I sort of feel like she was identifying with him a little bit, and that was sort of part of her willingness to be helpful and friendly with Merle. Right. Because, like, why would you be friendly with Merle? Like, well, she knows exactly what he's like. She kind of explained that. She said, you know, if, uh, if this was my family, I'd want to know this stuff. You know, with her sister uh, being gone now, uh, she would want, if, it was, if if Amy was out there someplace and somebody came along and said, you know, last time I saw Amy, she was alive. I got this treasure map. You can I go. got this treasure map. <laughs> you know, she would want to know this information. So I kind of, uh, that kind of explained to me, and I believed her, mm-hmm. that, you know, Daryl is still alive. As far as I know, this is the last place I saw him. You know, it's not, it's not a big thing to do. It's just passing on information. Why would she keep it? Why would she hold on to this? Well, I, I, I suppose that's true. I mean, she probably figures it, it can't hurt. Like, right. you know. Well, yeah, what's the harm? The damn thing burned down. Yeah. They're probably Everybody not Everybody left. But that's where we saw them. Yeah. Where I saw them. Oh, by the way, this is the herd of zombies right here on the map. Uh, yeah. Be careful. Watch out. There's probably <laughs> a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, but she finally asks Merle if the governor is a good man. And Merle unequivocally says, yes, he's, yeah. a, he's a good man. You know, I was in pretty rough shape when he found me. And, he, you know, the smart thing to do would have been just to leave me behind. But he didn't. But he didn't. So uh, Merle either has no idea or really truly believes that uh, the governor is a good guy. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we go back to the prison. Rick and the guys run in, kill some zombies, and uh, into the courtyard where everyone was. They kill some zombies there. And Herschel tells them that they went inside. And they assume right now that Axel and Oscar cut the chain. Yep. They assume that those guys are responsible for this. But then suddenly alarms start going off. Klaxons. And, uh, Klaxons? What's what? the word? Klaxon? Alarm. <laughs> no, Klaxon. It's a, it's an actual word. I'm going to look it up. All right, you do that. The alarms start going off. Uh, they're like, oh, my God, this can't be happening. It's just going to draw more walkers. So they start shooting the speakers. And uh, then um, Oscar tells them about a backup generator, so they head inside to find it, and I guess find everybody else, and turn the generator off. A klaxon is an electric horn or similar loud warning device. Well, the klaxon started ringing. Yes. Sounds like an alien race from Star Trek. No, it's a thing. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Uh, We see T-Dog and Carol in dark halls running around. He's not doing so well. No. And uh, that's all we see of them for now. We go to Maggie, Carl, and Lori, also in dark prison halls. And Lori goes into labor. Oh, of course. Uh, and to hide from some oncoming walkers, Carl finds like sort of a furnace boiler room type place in the basement of this prison. That's a great place to have a baby. Absolutely. So, I mean, what else could go wrong, really, here? You're being attacked by zombies. You're separated from everybody. And you go into labor. Mm-hmm. Well, stress can do that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I just, I'm just like, what else could go wrong? Like, what? How could, how could this get worse for these poor, poor people? Right. Um, Find a way. But they're hiding in the furnace room, and we go back to Woodbury, and the governor is shooting golf balls off of the wall. Yeah. And uh, here's here's what Jason from Brooklyn had to say about this scene. I'm gonna throw this in right here instead of later. Hey Chris, hey Jason, this is Jason from Brooklyn, New York. 
I'm submitting my uh, holy crap did you see that moment for last night's episode. Um, I believe that uh, although it was without a shadow of a doubt it was the governor's ability to drive a golf ball 400 yards down the road and hit a zombie right in the head. Uh, I was I was impressed uh, <laughs> as well as Merle it seemed also looked at the governor and kind of nodded in in a uh, in of reverence in a way of his ability to kill a zombie with uh, with a golf ball. Anyway, uh, hope you are all well. Take care. Bye. Yep he uh, he shot a golf ball. Thanks, Jason. Right off that thing and whacked a zombie in the head. I was impressed as well. Did now, you see his swing? Oh, he has a very nice golf swing. That, that man knows how to golf. <laughs> he does. Uh, David Morrissey. We can talk about him. Yeah. He he clearly looks like he's spent some time golfing in his life. Yes. It's not his first time on a driving range, that's for sure. No. Now, whether or not he could pick off a zombie at, I don't know, what 400 yards, as Jason said, with a golf ball, <clears throat> it's not the first time in pop culture we've seen this done. Yeah. Uh, but it's the first time it's been presented in a sort of real-life <laughs> scenario. Yeah. <laughs> that, well, I I, that I know of. I I'm not know. entirely convinced that he was trying to hit the go- zombies with the golf ball. I think he was just driving down there, and it just happens to be a couple of zombies, and he happened to whack one in the head. Sure. I mean, people do get holes in ones. Oh, yeah, good Lord. Hole-in-ones in golf. So. I, I know somebody who got, uh, got a hole-in-one last summer. Yeah? Yeah. I've never gotten one. But if I do... Someday, I will never play golf again. I almost got one. Yeah. It was a 300-yard par three. I was in high school. I hit it. I got about uh, three feet from the pin. That's pretty good, man. It was completely by accident. Well, of course. Yeah. It was probably over water and avoided all the sand traps, too. Uh, no, there was no water <clears throat> nor no sand water. trap. It was just uh, me, the fairway, and a golf club, and a little ball. <laughs> and uh, it all came together for you. Yeah. Well, uh, he hits the zombie. I thought it was funny. I kind of chuckled when I when I saw it. Um, I I don't know. At first, I was surprised they put it in there, but I guess you need funny little moments like that, especially in an episode like this. Yeah. Uh, so Merle comes up, and after some small talk about going to play at Augusta. <laughs> yeah. Did you? Uh, I did some research on Augusta. Anyway, go on. Were you going to say anything else about Augusta? Uh, no, I was going to move on to what they talk about next. Okay, so they, they're talking about, uh, you know, we should go play Augusta and, and uh, you know, bring all the women and let them play. It's like, oh, and destroy so many years of tradition. So I looked this up because I was mm-hmm. curious about this. And uh, so the this is the Augusta uh, National Golf Course. Yep. And they've have uh, they've had strict rules for, you know, a long time, and women weren't allowed and so one thing I found is that the first two women were admitted uh, to the club in August of 2012. So just recently. Wow. Like a couple of months ago. So uh, first of all, that was after uh, The Walking Dead takes place, mm-hmm. right? Because this takes place in 2008, 2009. I guess so, yeah. Uh, the TV series. So this took, took place after that. Uh, uh, these two women got uh, admitted, uh, allowed admittance after filming of this. So the writers actually wrote this, assume, uh, knowing that women were not allowed at Augusta, but after filming, but before air, uh, women are now allowed at Augusta. So I thought, uh, I just seeing the writers kicking themselves, going, crap! Well, it, it, it doesn't matter. It works within reality. But I find it hard to believe that up until August of 2012, a golf course could be male only. Yeah. 
This this uh, this particular golf course has a has a spotty track record. They didn't. Uh, there was no black members until 1990, and they used to have a uh, a rule that uh, said all the caddies had to be black. But they repealed that a while ago. They didn't have a date on that. Good but, lord! So uh, this place has a, a spotty membership history in in like every way possible. That's terrible. Yeah. Uh, anyways, they decide they talk about that but then merle uh tells the governor that he wants to leave to go find his brother Mm -hmm. and the governor says no way and he He doesn't say no way well wait a minute he says no you can't go because i need you here but he finishes with look if you get more concrete evidence that he's alive he'll go with him to find him right this seemed like a very reasonable response I didn't think that this was uh, this was any kind of indication of the governor being evil. Uh, no, I don't think so at all. I mean, almost everything he's done so far, almost everything, right. has been very reasonable. Um, and certainly from the perspective of the characters on the show, everything right. he's done has been very reasonable. I'm sure Merle was a little upset by it. Yeah. But um, you know, he's good- like... I need you here. You're my hammer. Yeah, good, uh, good leaders have to make tough decisions like this all the time. And if in uh, if his primary goal is, regardless of whatever his uh, evil versus good bent on things, his primary goal is to keep Woodbury uh, functioning and safe. Mm-hmm. In order to do that, he needs Merle. So his decision, I think, was completely measured and reasonable. And he even had a, uh, if you get more concrete evidence, we'll all go. We'll go find your brother. Yeah. It's like Merle's the head of security. You can't just let him leave right. and, and think things are going to be okay. Now, Merle still didn't look very happy, though. No. And um, do we think Merle's going to comply and stay put, or is he going to just strike out on his own, sneak away? Uh, I think he's going to strike out on his own and sneak away. And does this put set Merle up to somewhat be at odds with the governor and maybe help some other characters do something? Could be, because I think uh, it was an Andrea that asked him, you know, why haven't you left? It's like, I've never ha- I haven't had a reason to yet. Right. Now, now he has one. He definitely does. So <laughs> I think uh, I think that that was a setup for this conversation, which is a setup for he's going to go find his brother. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be honest, probably ends up at the prison and is what leads the governor there. Yeah. Somehow. Concrete evidence. That's my... Uh, I found my brother. Let's go. Yeah, exactly. He's there. Uh, come on. Uh, that's my theory anyways. Yeah. <clears throat> so back at the prison, Rick and the guys are searching. They split up to continue the search. And we go with uh, Lori, Carl, and Maggie. The baby is coming. They're still in this furnace room. They decide to deliver it right there and then, which, man, is not the place you want to be when delivering a baby. No. And not really the people you want to be with. Maggie Fine. No, no offense. Yeah, no offense. Maggie Fine, but she's not a doctor. Nope. And your son, who's yeah. right there. Um, Lori decides she has to start pushing. And no baby comes out, but she starts bleeding pretty yep. profusely. And in the commotion, we hear Maggie say, Lori, don't push. Something's wrong. We see lots of blood on her hands. Yes. So things are getting intense. Yeah. Things are getting serious. Yeah, given uh, given birth in a prison in a uh, boiler room in during the zombie apocalypse is not ideal. This is you know, things are getting complicated. Yes. <laughs> the plot thickens. Oh my god, does it ever. Um T-Dog, we go to them with uh, T-Dog and Carol. They are coming down a hall, zombies corner them and T-Dog's not doing very well of course cuz he has his shoulder bitten off. 
and uh, they're sort of up against a wall, and T-Dog sacrifices himself by running into the zombies and occupying them while Carol, so Carol can get away. Yeah, and I saw this coming. Like, as soon as uh, T-Dog got, got bit, and uh, he was still up and active and running into the prison with, uh, with Carol, I knew that at some point he'd be sacrificing himself to save her. You know, it didn't occur to me after he got bit, but as soon as this scene started, I'm like, well, obviously, what's going to happen, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, he uh, he runs in and is we see his neck, his throat get torn out. Yep. Oh, Pretty. yeah. Oh, geez, Greg did it again. That was a fantastic shot. That was very... Pretty gross. Ugh. That was that was the scene for this episode where it was like the one... Of like a uh, special effects shot where I was like, Oh my God, they just wanted us to look at that. There was another one somewhere. Well, there, there, remember what it was, this episode had a few, I'll, I'll give you that. But I think the T dog neck ripping was the one. Yeah. Um, so T dog is dead. Yes. Poor, poor T dog. T dog we'll is dead. We'll, uh, we'll talk about T dog in a bit. Um, so he's dead, and uh, Carol gets away out a door. Yeah, she opens a door and runs through it, and there's light on the other side. So presumably it's a door to the outside, or a, a bright light in a room. A door to a room with windows, yeah, or I the outside so. world. I guess so. So she runs out, and I believe that's the last we see of her in this episode. It is. <clears throat> but we cut back to Woodbury. Andrea and the governor are having a drink. Mm-hmm. They thank each other, and they chat a bit. They, sound, they uh, seem very flirty. Oh, she's been flirting with him this whole she's time. She's been flirting with everybody. A little bit. She is just open for business, man. That's the... Oh, no. Because <laughs> she left. She said, I better go. And I know. And then they had a moment at the door. Well, yeah. So they first, though, they talk about Merle and uh, how he's got to go look for his brother because he the governor knows that she gave him the map and so on. Um, <clears throat> and... Uh, so I, I got another email here from Mark in California. He wrote in with his holy crap, and I, I'm going to inject it right here. He says, the governor said in this scene he lost his wife in a car accident 18 months before all this. Right. And now it's just my daughter and me. Yeah, he mentioned that. I uh, he was thinking about that. So spoilers here for the comic, but he, uh, my thoughts, or uh, Mark says, does he have her, his daughter, uh, as a chained up zombie hidden away like in the comics and is trying to find a cure. I don't know, well, but uh, but probably. Yeah, my answer is yes. I, I think so. We haven't seen that yet, but I'm going to go with I would bet he does. Uh, if the daughter was alive, we would have met her by now. Probably. Right? They're saving this as a reveal at some point. Oh, yeah, for probably the hiatus. Probably the hiatus, and I think it will be a good one, to be honest with yep. you. Um, now, I don't think in the comics he's trying to find a cure. I think he just can't let go of her, more or less. You know, yeah, I, he, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think he's trying to find a cure. But uh, if anybody knows that for sure, write in. Now, in the TV show, being a different animal, we have Milton, sort of a scientist, studying the zombies. So maybe TV show governor is looking for a cure. <laughs> yep. Comic governor, I don't think. I think comic governor was just. Uh, I've been with this, this is my daughter, I've been with her for so long, forever, I mean, I'm not going to let her go now, even though she's a zombie, I'm just going to keep her chained up, and we can still be together as a family, mm-hmm. or a part of a family. Um, but Andrea goes to leave, the governor tells her she's always welcome here, she right. can always come back. That's nice. And he tells her his real name is Philip. Yep. One episode after saying, I'll never tell. I'll never tell. Uh, so I think he's been drinking the tea. 
Yeah, well, he has been. He has been drinking the tea. There's only a few people that haven't, or two, I think, and but he's not one of them. So he tells her his real name is Philip, which mm-hmm. is exciting. Everyone, in case you were uh, didn't know. What's that truth serum stuff, that uh, sodium pentothal? I think so, yeah. It just makes me think we should all get together sometime and everybody drink sodium pentothal and <laughs> see what we tell each other. Can you actually drink that? I don't know. How I don't it... know. Whatever it is, they just... Uh, ingest you know, it. Ingest it somehow and have a soda, <laughs> have a truth party. Is this a really good idea? No, it's a horrible idea. <laughs> but, you know, is that something that they're doing over there in Woodbury? Everybody drinks the tea and they just tell each other stuff. I... I... A, I would like to know if there are any side effects other than telling the truth of taking sodium pentothal. Uh, yeah. Uh, if there are not, then fine. You could take it and get together and have truth parties. And why not, really? The kids today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've got 37 years of truth that I don't want to talk about. Yeah, so. I got I got me secrets, and they're staying <laughs> secret. Uh, that's right. Uh, so after he reveals his full name... He, he he looks like he's going in to kiss her, to be honest with you. Yeah, he takes a step towards her, which is weird, because the door opens the other way. Like, if she was standing in the in like in like front of the doorknob, and he was reaching in for the doorknob to open the door for her to leave, that seems like a kind of a, a subtle kind of, I could be going in for a kiss, psych, I'm not, I'm just <laughs> opening the door. <laughs> right. But the door opened the other way. Like, okay. the doorknob was beside him, so he took a step forward, and then had to take a step back. Kind of well, thing. okay. So so maybe he was thinking of doing it, but then changed his mind. Yeah. And I'm glad he did, because that would have been so dumb. Well, yeah. I'm sorry. We don't need the governor and Andrea, you know, falling in love. Not yet, anyways. If they're going to do it, fine, but I don't want it to happen quite so early. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't, as you said, and he opens the door and she leaves. Did you see the look on his face when he closed the door? Yes. Take a look. What does that mean? Uh, it was the look was really weird. Was it fear, concern, well, uh, regret? I, I don't know. I'd have to go back and look at him again. Uh, I think David Morrissey is a really good actor, so uh, I think he's feeling. Well, I do think he's feeling sort of sad, for lack of a better term, that Andrea is leaving. Uh, although it could be argued he already sort of knows she's not going to leave. I don't think it was sadness. It would it looked like concern, like uh, I'm worried about what might happen uh, with her. So, so he really is in love with her. I don't know. I don't think it's love. I think it's his, uh, I think he's, uh, her, uh, Andrea and Michonne worry him. Hmm. He's, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on there, but the look on uh, David Morrissey's face, and he is a good actor, so I think it means something, but mm-hmm. I just don't know what yet. All right. Well, maybe <clears throat> we'll probably find out. I mean, I guess he could be worried that they're going to leave and lead a larger group back there. Yep. But it, it, it doesn't seem like that would be too concerning because he's so well fortified. Yeah. Um, but maybe he's just, I don't know, maybe he just doesn't want her to go. It's as simple as that. I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. Uh, we go back to the prison. The The guys burst into the generator room. Yep. They have found this room where the uh, generators are making power for the sirens, which are still going off. Yes. Klaxons. The klaxons, sorry. And, no, there's uh, still sirens, but just klaxon is a very specific type of siren. All right, fine. Uh, in there, they find who? Andrew. Andrew. So he didn't get eaten. In the courtyard where Rick left him. Right. He managed to somehow get away. I knew he was coming back. <clears throat> yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, they didn't show him die, so anyone who you don't see die is probably coming back. Really? Um, 
Yep. Okay. Well, that'll come up later. It may. He, uh, Andrew attacks Rick, and uh, they fight. Andrew kind of gets the better of Rick. Yeah. Well, he's got an axe. Yeah, but even so, like, I think he's just a little more insane at this point, and right. insanity can breed superhuman strength. Yes, it can. <laughs> and pure meanness can do it, too. Absolutely. Um, so Andrew gets the better of him, but and Rick's lost his gun, but Oscar grabs Rick's gun and raises it sort of on both of them. All right, well, so Andrew's got the axe, and he's about to strike Rick, because Rick's on the floor, right? He's yep. lost his gun, but uh, uh, Oscar hits him with something. It's uh, oh. It was either a trash can or a container of some kind, but uh, knocked him flat on his it, butt. It was some kind of big barrel that just comes out of nowhere, yeah. <laughs> hits Andrew in the head, and he goes down. Fist of God kind of thing. That's right. I thought it was funny, yeah. that, that bit, actually. Uh, so after he goes down, Oscar uh, grabs the gun and holds it up to both of the guys. Yeah. And Rick doesn't say anything. He just puts his hand up yeah. and and looks him in the eye with a please don't shoot me look. Yeah. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And Oscar decides to shoot Andrew. Yes. And uh, there you go. So I'm going to play a call right now from Peter from New York. Hey, guys. My name is Peter, and I'm from New York. And uh, anyway, my holy crap, did you see that moment was when Oscar is about to, he's about to uh, shoot Rick, or you don't know if he's going to shoot Rick or if he's going to shoot Andrew, and Daryl is just behind him with the knife ready to gut him. Uh, that was really crazy. I, I, was, I was really expecting Daryl to just snap and stab him. But uh, yeah, I just thought that part was really crazy. All right. Anyway, see ya. Thank you, Peter. Uh, yeah, so that while, was, this is, awesome. while this is happening, yeah. Daryl <laughs> is sneaking up behind. <laughs> he's lost his crossbow, and he's sneaking up behind um, Oscar. Oscar with his knife out like a ninja. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it it, it really kind of looked hilarious. So, you know. He was ready. He had Rick's back. He I know, Rick's I back. know, but it kind of looked funny to me. I don't know. Like, he's sneaking up. He's all hunched over and crouched down, and... Uh, I don't know. It did look funny, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad Peter called in about that because yeah. otherwise, you know, I had to laugh when I saw that. It was pretty good. Um, so o- Oscar yep. knows how to handle a firearm, by the way. He does. Uh, yeah, eh? he was, uh, he was, uh, he was no slouch with that, with that thing. He knew what he was doing. Okay. And when he flipped it around, like, do you know how to flip around a, a pistol like that to hand it to? Well, God, uh, I grip w- first to somebody. I wouldn't even attempt it because I'd probably shoot myself in the thigh or something. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Well, that's good. Um, Either they all have had firearms training, like the actors, uh-huh. or Oscar knows what he's doing with a firearm as well, which is, you know, either one is, well, the well, former is, uh, you know, is definitely true, and the latter might be true. He's a criminal, so maybe he committed gun-related vi- violent crimes. I know lots of criminals that don't know how to handle a firearm <laughs> like that. I'm just saying, some do, some and he do. maybe is one of them. Yeah. Uh, I know lots of non-criminals that know how to handle firearms, too, <laughs> just for the record. Yeah, that's also true. <clears throat> um, Oscar, so Oscar shoots Andrew, and he appears to be to be one of them now. He appears to, he's, you know, he, I think he's sort of become one of the group. Adversity breeds friendship. This is, this is the moment where he's become one of the, one of this uh, group of people. Well, I knew that was going to happen as soon as uh, uh, Rick started asking him questions about the generator, and then he said, come with me. I'm like, well, okay, now they're, they're going to be part of the group. Yeah, ha- but had this Andrew thing not gone down, I think Rick would have, after all this was done, be like, okay, hit the road, guys. But he now saved Rick's life, so you can't yeah. just cast him off. Right. <clears throat> Rick and goes- having, a, having a prisoner know 
and have experience with the uh, the generator systems of a prison is highly unlikely. Uh, yeah. Although he said he worked there for a few days. Yeah, as a prisoner. Like, was right. was that his his job in the prison? Was working on the generators? I don't think so. Why not? They got prisoners doing all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't think that they like cleaning and stuff, but I don't think that they're handling like electrical maintenance of the of the prison, the backup systems. Maybe they got them working in the laundry, making license plates. They got them doing their taxes. Those are that's first of all Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> Second of all, those are uh, are jobs that the prison has uh, made like set themselves up for the prisoners to do. Right. Right. The prisoners do not maintain the prison systems. Okay, so you think he was like a generator repairman in his day day job, happened to work at the prison, and then become incarcerated and put in there? I don't think that... Uh, what I think is that uh, they decided to have Oscar have knowledge of the generators in order to give them a premise for him to go with him, with Rick, in order for the, uh, the friendship to take place. I think it seemed a little... Uh, so you're saying it was just convenient. It was overly convenient. I don't think that it was plausible in any way, shape, or form. Okay, but that said, I'm glad that this means he's part of the group. Yes, that is good, but uh, yeah, the plausibility of it is just out the window. All righty. Um, they disabled the alarms, and that's good news. And we cut over to uh, Lori and everybody in the furnace room. She still hasn't delivered the baby. Nope. And uh, Lori tells Maggie that she has to do a C-section. Yep. Things just got worse. Yes, they did. Remember when I said that, what else could go wrong? This is worse. Yeah. This is major abdominal surgery, and you're doing it on the floor of a boiler room in a rundown prison with no electricity, or at least none there. That's why you should never open your mouth and tempt fate. You shouldn't say to yourself, how could this get worse? What else could possibly go wrong? This can't get any worse. Yeah. Yeah. Because at, at, at best, it'll then start raining. Yes. Right? That's the that's best case scenario, for sure. Best case. Worst case scenario, you have to do a C-section. And then it's raining frogs, and then where are you? Yeah. So Maggie says no, and Carl wants to go and get help. But uh, Lori insists and says that her baby must survive, even though she knows that she won't. Right. And Lori begs Maggie to do this, yep. and uh, we go to commercial. Mm-hmm. It was pretty crazy. Yeah. Things start to get really, really insane at this point. Um, when we come back, we're in Woodbury briefly. Uh, Michonne and Angri- Andrea are arguing about leaving. Our Andrea doesn't want to leave now because. Well, maybe tomorrow, the day after. Yeah, but let's just, we've been here for a couple of days. Let's give it a couple of more days and yeah. see how much more tea I can drink, is maybe, what she's maybe saying. Maybe Philip has, uh, has more alcohol that he could ply me with. Yeah, exactly. I like the taste of that uh, Canadian club or whatever it was. <laughs> Um, we go right back to Lori, Carl, and Maggie, and uh, Ma- uh, Lori reassures Carl that she'll be fine. She tells him to do what's right. It's so easy to do the wrong thing in this world, Yep. but uh, if it feels like you're doing the wrong thing, don't do it, she says. Um, and she doesn't want the world to corrupt him, Right. which is good advice. going to be tough for him to live up to that. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> They're all crying and hugging, and it's very emotional, and... Uh, Lori then tells Maggie to get started. So Maggie takes a knife and slices into her yeah, that, belly. That was the other moment. It, it, yeah, I wouldn't call this especially, you know, it doesn't stand out to me as an amazing effect or anything like that, but it's definitely gross. It was gross. And and I've <laughs> I've watched two C-sections take place in real life yep. before my eyes, and this grossed me out way more than that did. <laughs> 
and uh, I don't know what that says about me. I don't know how you could have... Yeah, I wouldn't... I'd, anyway. Very, very quickly, when you're in the moment and it's real life, you're not thinking about um, the gore factor. And there is, there, well, is a high, now. there is a high gore factor, but if you are ever in that scenario, I'm just saying it's not something that... Uh, I don't know. It didn't even cross my mind while I was watching it in right. real life. On the TV show, it's like, oh, my God, I don't want to see this anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so she slices into her. There's lots of screaming, as there would be. And uh, Maggie's digging around in there. And <laughs> I got something. I don't know if it's a leg or an arm or what is that? Yeah, I think she says, I can see him. Right. Which was I thought was interesting. It is. Um, <laughs> don't know if I have an arm or a leg, but yeah. it's a boy. But I can see him. Well, I think she was just using the him, you know, general term for mankind. Right. <laughs> uh, Maggie pulls out the baby, and after some gentle prompting, it starts crying. Yeah. So the baby is alive. Good. <clears throat> and uh, I did notice that as babies tend to do on TV after they're born, they they clean themselves up fairly quickly and magically all the goop off them is just gone you know yep it's just it's the way it is and, and and somehow they become like uh uh three week old babies oh yeah immediately yeah. they're born as like two month olds or yeah. whatever yeah that's the way it is um so this baby was covered in gore the whole time though right yeah uh, no it cleaned itself pretty well it really? came out covered in gore and then like it seemed pretty cut gross away, for come the... back. Oh, they did a pretty good job with this baby. I'll I'll definitely give them that. But there, it does uh, very quickly seem to shed some of that goop. Huh. Anyhow, um, before they leave, um, uh, Lori is at least unconscious. Oh yeah, she passed out from the pain, like everybody does when they're undergoing, you know, random surgery. On Emergency this show. Uh, C-section without anesthetic. Or leg or, chop-offs or whatever. Or any kind of sterility in a boiler room in a prison. So Carl decides that he has to shoot his mom in the head to prevent her from turning. Maggie goes to the door, um, and we flash back to Rick and Carl talking in the hayloft in season two at mm. the farm, and Rick telling his son that, uh, you know, everyone's going to die, and you better get used to it. Yeah. <laughs> So Carl hugs his mom again, and we hear a gunshot off screen, and he comes walking to the door, passing Maggie without hesitation. Right. So I, I would have, uh, not thinking back to the, uh, the C-section and uh, knowing that Lori's going to die and having to, you know, the, she might turn, she very likely will turn after she does die, so they got to they gotta deal with this situation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that uh, they put her through a lot of pain, and I was thinking about this, and I would have done this the other way around. I would have started the whole, this is going to sound cold, I would have started the whole thing off with shooting Lori in the head. Oh my God, <laughs> man. I can't believe you're saying that. <laughs> Knowing that she's going to die anyway, rather than putting her through the whole uh, pain of a cesarean section without any anesthetic and knowing that she's going to get killed no matter what. You'd murder her. I'd probably start off with shooting her in the head. Straight out. You know, that's actually, your logic is sound. I will give you that. Yeah. Uh, If somewhat demented. It's not demented. <laughs> I, I think it might be a little demented. Okay, is this the kind of thing that Glenn and Carol did in a couple episodes ago when she was uh, wanted a zombie for to practice? She's like, uh, I understand your logic, but it's uh, really kind of demented. Yes, <laughs> you're, you're, it makes perfect sense, Yeah, but it's insane. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> okay. uh, that, I, I would say that's exactly the same. Um, but we don't see Carl shoot her. And, so... and you just said earlier in this episode that... Uh, 
Uh, if you don't see somebody die on screen, they might come back. They might not be dead. That's so what right. if Carl didn't shoot her? Uh, then I think at some point in a future episode, we are going to see zombie um, zombie Laurie walking around. Yeah. I don't think, I really don't think that's going to happen. I agree. I, uh, I think for Carl's uh, character development, he had to shoot his mom in the head. Well, yeah, as, as insane as that sounds too. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but uh, we don't actually see it. And maybe it's just one of those things. I'm going to, I'm going to assume that he did do it. Yeah. Now, Someone on our Facebook page, I think, posted that why was it a given that they decided that she would die undergoing this procedure? Like, couldn't isn't there a way she could survive a C-section? And I, I don't think so. Like, really? It's, no, I don't think so. It's it's major surgery. She has no way of properly closing and treating the wound created by it. Yeah, and uh, she's on a dark in the floor of a boiler room <laughs> in a prison and uh, she would just she would just lose too much blood plain and simple um, at least Herschel they were able to pressurize it and stop the bleeding right. here there's none of that it's just a giant gaping wound in your abdomen and you don't survive that like I said I've seen this in real life and without doctors present I don't think you survive this this uh, procedure people have been uh, stabbed and survived like with grievous abdominal wounds. Well, under weird, I mean, stranger things have happened. <laughs> than a zombie apocalypse? Well, no, having an emergency <laughs> C-section on a boiler room floor and surviving the experience with no doctors anywhere near without getting medical attention. It's, it's a golden hour, right? You got an hour after a grievous bod- bodily uh, injury to get them to, <laughs> you know, a properly stocked uh, emergency room. <laughs> Which they're not going to be. <laughs> no, doing. they're not going to find so, that. But uh, you know, they would. You know, they could. It is possible to have an emergency C-section and to apply pressure to the wound and do something and get medical attention uh, within ten, fifteen minutes. Right. Get Herschel over there. He's obviously <laughs> ambulatory. He can get there. He can help. Okay. I. I mean, that's. That is within the realm of possibility. Yeah. I just I, 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 I don't necessarily agree that it was a foregone conclusion that she would not survive the experience. Saying that after you know me saying that I would have started the whole thing off by shooting <laughs> her in the head, right? But that's that's assuming that we definitely absolutely know that she would not survive the experience, which I may or may not be on board. I'm going to go with a fraction. The chances of her surviving are are less than one percent, a fraction of one percent, right, of surviving, and that is strictly. Me speculating. Pie in the sky speculation. Exactly. Uh, but uh, I don't think, yeah, I just don't think there's any way she'd survive. Even if Herschel got there, it would take him at least a half an hour to get there, I would think. He's slow. And a half hour? I don't and know. And there's still zombies around. Yeah, and, I mean, you know, the, the chances are very slim, but uh, at least try. All right. Well, they didn't try. No, they didn't try. And Lori is now dead, too. So we lost T-Dog. Yep. And we lost Lori. And maybe Carol. We don't know what happened to her. <clears throat> we don't know what happened to Carol, but I think Carol's alive. Uh, okay, what happens? Rick and the guys find T-Dog's body, and, there are, and they kill the zombies that are eating it. Yep. And then they find Carol's head scarf slash bandana thing on the yeah. ground. Yeah. Which is weird, because if you watch the episode earlier on, when she runs off after T-Dog sacrifices himself, she's still wearing it as she goes through that door. So she had to, yeah, I was I was thinking about this, like, no, she got through the door with the scarf on her head, so she came back. Or somebody brought it back and yeah. left it there. How I, did it get back? It didn't come back on its own. 
I certainly not. I certainly hope it's not just a screw up, but it must mean something. Yeah. You know, it's it was there. I mean, unless the, I mean, they it, that was what they picked up, right? There's yeah, no, they certainly implied that. Yeah, they certainly did. Because because so. uh, later on, uh, I don't know if you're getting to it, but uh, uh, Rick says, like after he comes out of this whole thing, he says, uh, "What? Where's uh, T Dog and Carol?" And he says they didn't make it. Right. He assumes that they both didn't right. make it. So that's why I'm assuming that they they found that scarf. Got it. You're right. Um, so after that, they run outside, they find out that Lori and them didn't come outside, and, uh, like you said, he says T-Dog didn't make it, and he's sort of wondering, he's about to go back in, basically, and continue looking for him, but suddenly he hears a baby crying, and Maggie and Carl come walking out, and, uh, from here on in, there's not a lot of dialogue in this. It's really just the characters reacting to the realization of what's just happened here. It's just, uh, raw emotion at this point. It is. Rick doesn't take the baby from Maggie, something I noticed. Um, and maybe that's a good thing. He's not really in the state of mind to be handling a baby. I'm glad right he now. didn't have the baby. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he goes to his son, I think realizes that his son is the one who had to put Lori down. I don't know if that's necessarily true. He's just upset that, uh, Carl lost his mom. No, I think he had the realization of, I think the picture has become clear to him. They had to deliver the baby and she didn't survive and Carl was the one who had to take care of things. Okay. I think so. Um, maybe not. I mean, maybe in the next episode, Carl will say like, hey, Dad, I got to shoot Mom in the head. It wasn't very fun. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> um, but he breaks down, and he collapses full down on his back. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he went down. He is, he's completely spent. There's nothing left of this man for the moment. That's why I'm glad he didn't have the baby. Yeah, that's right. Um, like most people collapse to their knees or at least knees first. He didn't. He just fell right on his back Yep. and uh, did a fine job. Well, his legs scene. just uh, gave out. Yeah. You know, that happens. His legs are like, screw this, I'm done. Yeah. You know, I need to, we need to take it easy. Standing up is no longer an option. And we go to silent music-free credits. Yep. As TV shows often do when you uh, end on such a downer like this. Lost. Uh, on Yeah. Lost, Lost specifically did that when a character died. Well, looks like the oh, Walking Dead. Oh, no, that dead. was 24. 24 also did that. Uh, it, you ever watch 24? Nope. You know how they have the clock at the end, and, and uh, you know, when they count down, you, you have any oh, idea well, what I'm I, talking I about? I know what you're talking about. Okay, so there's a clock at the end, and there's usually a boop, boop, yep. boop, as, it, uh, as the seconds tick by. Yep. If a character dies that's a main character in 24, there's no sound. They just go to silence. Well, that's what the Walking Dead did, too, and we lost T-Dog and Lori, and uh, it was a... Hell of a crazy episode. It really, really was. Um, insane. So um, I'm going to play a call now from uh, Margaret in Chicago before we move on. Hey, guys. How are you? My name is Margaret. I'm calling from Chicago, Illinois. I just really needed to call in because I think Carl is obviously a really strong child for his age, and I think he's been through a lot, and he adapted very well. But I don't think any number of zombies or any apocalypse could prepare him for seeing his mother give birth. That was ridiculous. And I feel really sorry for him. That was um, that was rough. That was rough for him, and it was rough for all of us. Thanks, guys. Yeah, so, I mean, watching his mom give birth is one thing. Having to kill her is another thing. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it made me... Think about Carl a little bit. Thank you, Margaret, by the way, for uh, calling in. But I was thinking about Carl. He has now killed Shane, yep. a man who was 
in some ways a second father to him. Yep. He has had to kill his own actual mother, and uh, I mean, killing one of those people would be enough for most people, even under these circumstances. But Carl is going to be one effed up little dude after <laughs> all this. If he wasn't already, he has now killed his mother and his second father. Yep. He uh, he does what's necessary. I guess so, but man, like he's he's going to be a I, I don't even know how to describe it. Like he he's even a zombie apocalypse shouldn't bring this kind of, you know, stuff onto a kid his age. Yep. You wouldn't think. No, but. it's going to uh, mess him up for uh, for a very long time. If not forever, if not forever, but he's going to be a cold, calculating, uh, need need uh, do what needs to be done kind of kind of guy for the rest of his life. Yep, and so, that'll help him survive. Yeah, absolutely. Right? But I, I'm just, I yeah, I I mean, I kind of feel bad for him, right? Having to having to endure yeah. all this, you know, uh, everything is zombie apocalypse is enough. Now he's killing everyone in his family. <laughs> Good lord. <clears throat> Um, so Nick from Tampa sent this email. He writes, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote and said I was impressed with how T-Dog has become an integral part of the group after sitting out last year. Only now do I realize it was just to make us care when he dies. By far the worst thing, though, is Lori is killed at the same time, so it cheapens the effect, and I feel fans will focus more so on her than him. Um, what do you think about that? I mean, I was... I was sad to see T-Dog go. I found it actually, to be honest, a little more unexpected than Lori. Um, I sort of figured Lori wasn't going to survive this season. Maybe not this early, but you know, all along I've said that Lori's not going to survive. T-Dog, I figured they were going to bring back into the show, give him a bigger part, and he would survive at least deep into this season. Maybe future seasons. I kind of agree with. Uh, I'm sorry, who was the uh, Nick? The, Nick from Florida. I Tampa. agree with uh, with Nick that uh, it did cheapen it a little bit. I would have liked to have seen. Uh, T-Dog have at least some kind of plot tied to him before he died. Right. Because uh, he, didn't, he didn't have any plot. He, there's nothing, uh, his, he doesn't have a story arc. No, he, he had an expanded role this season, but yeah. it was strictly in sort of being a part of the group. Right. Um, <laughs> but you're right, he didn't really have a plot to himself. Now, that can be dangerous as well, because uh, like we've seen in past television shows, that uh, the episode where a, a secondary character all of a sudden gets a plot, you know they're going to die in that episode at the end of the episode, because that's what they're trying to do is make you care about the character, mm -hmm. right? So that's dangerous too. They'd have to ramp it up slowly. There was all kinds of things, but I'm, I'm thinking the, uh, the problem I have is that Laurie and T-Dog both died in the same episode. I think... Uh, they could have done something more with T-Dog where he sacrificed himself to save the group and got, uh, you know, a death in his own episode for that. Yeah, although he, I mean, they at least they gave him a heroic death, you yes. know? I mean, he, was, he wasn't saving the group per se, but he was saving one member of it. And, uh, you know, he didn't just... He didn't just get bitten, fall over, and die, for lack of a better way to describe it, right? right. He did sacrifice himself it was heroic and he went out with a blaze of glory yes you know um whether he should they should have done that in his own episode you know i'm not so sure because then we'd have one main character dying every episode and that would become predictable and monotonous somewhat yeah pile it all into one 
and then do a few where nobody dies, you know? <laughs> right. Well, I would, yeah, I just, I, I think it cheapens it a little bit. I think that, uh, you know, he was uh, becoming a, a more integral character to the group, and I thought he was, uh, you know, had his, had his role in the group and his role on the show was uh, becoming stronger and stronger, and I just think that uh, uh, it would have had more meaning to me if, mm-hmm. he, uh, if he died and then later on Lori died or the other way around. Yeah, I mean, whatever the case, I was kind of sad to see him go. You know, I, I thought in season one and two, I was never really that on board with his character, but that I realized was because they didn't give him anything to do. Right. And you just never got a chance to get to know him. And even in the limited role, the limited but expanded role in season three, you feel like you get to know him a little bit more. And so, as Nick said, that sort of makes you care more when he dies, but it also... It is genuine, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it is genuine. I do care more that he dies because I was looking forward to to what he might do, you know, in in the next the rest of this year. And he didn't get to meet Merle. And that's the other thing that completely eliminates the Merle versus T Dog plot line, um, which you know maybe would have been too obvious a plot line for them to go for, and they figure. They don't need to. They got other plans. And you know what? There's probably enough animosity between Merle and Rick, period, that if there's going to be some sort of showdown at the OK Corral, those two guys have enough tension between the two of them. Right. You don't need T-Dog. Quickly, I watched AMC's Talking Dead after the show uh, this week, and... Gail Ann Hurd was on, Ooh. and they, she was asked if Carol survived, and she hinted pretty strongly that Carol didn't make it. So, you know, I'm... Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. She's just saying this, of course. I truly believe that Carol is not dead, and she will show up again. If she was dead, you know, she's not just going to run through a mystery door and show up dead later, right? Yeah, that's definitely an off-screen assumed dead. Yeah, uh, trope there's no way that carol is dead i'm just saying it right now gail ann heard was just being typical producer yeah the writer said oh she didn't make it and we're all supposed to go oh you know that's what rick said the writers wrote for rick to say Mm -hmm. that uh, they didn't make it and we're supposed to think oh she ran through the door and must have died because that's exactly what didn't happen to andrew exactly (laughs) (laughs) that's right as we know people left behind closed doors seem to survive yeah um all righty, and so before we move on, I do have one more thing about this episode, and I felt, hopefully this doesn't go on forever, I felt that this episode probably brought us closest to the tone and the feel of the comic than any other episode, maybe since the premiere, the pilot of season one. You think so? I think so, because it was, um, you know, we've talked on this show before about the comic, and how nothing good ever happens in that comic book. Right. <laughs> and I've said that it's kind of suffering for the sake of suffering, and why can't they just do something nice for these people once in a while? Kirkman, I mean. Right. And that, this episode gave me that feeling a little bit. Yeah, but we had uh, Maggie and Glenn had uh, happy time guard tower sex. Maybe. Yeah, I'm sure. What do you mean, maybe? No, no, no. I, Glenn I, came out without a shirt on. That assumes <laughs> sex, right? Absolutely. I'm saying, I agree with you, yes. Um, but I don't know. This this episode had the sort of horrific feeling that I get from the comic when really bad stuff goes down. That's true. And I think this episode came closer to that feeling than any other episode did. And I say since the pilot, but the pilot had a very different uh, take right. than this, right? It was close to the comic, but it was close to the comic pilot or the first couple issues of the comic pilot, first issue. Right. Um, Premier issue. Pre- there you go. 
This one, though, this was full-on, like, mid-run comic, just terror. Right. And they did a good job with it. They, oh, yeah, it was a great, <clears throat> great episode. Um, and, uh, yeah, it made me excited and sad and just <laughs> horrified and everything all at once. So yeah. I don't know... Uh, I don't know what else they can do. Good times. Yeah, good times. Uh, Alrighty, we will take a quick break before we move on to thank our sponsor. When we come back, we have listener feedback and holy crap, did you see that? So stay tuned. Dead is brought to you by Audible. For the listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial so you can check out their service. We always like to recommend a book, both being Audible listeners ourselves, but Jason, this is your department, so what do we have for the people this week? Today, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, good old Hitchhikers. Douglas Adams. The late so, Douglas Adams. The late Douglas Adams. Narrated by Stephen Fry. Oh, can't I'm gonna get that right after yeah, this podcast? Yeah, I didn't know it was uh, narrated by Stephen Fry. I'm definitely gonna get this now. Like I've read this book, you've read this book multiple times, many times. Uh, you know, I've, I haven't listened to this one on Audible, but now that I know it's been read by Stephen Fry, I'm absolutely gonna get it for sure. Uh, Stephen Fry is great, um, and and of course Hitchhikers is great too. Are all the Hitchhikers books available? They know? are, from what I can tell, uh, they are all five in the trilogy of three. That's right. Awesome. Yeah, and for those uh, for who don't know what this book is about, I'm going to read a short description here, if that's okay. Do it. Uh, seconds before the Earth is demolished to make way for a galactic freeway, Arthur Dent is plucked off the planet by his friend Ford Prefect, a researcher for the revised edition of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, who, for the last 15 years, has been posing as an out-of-work actor. <laughs> if that description doesn't get you on board i don't know what will yeah it's uh, it's a great it's a and great you, great book and you know what even if you've read the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy before a stephen fry is narrating yeah this, and b it's a very re-readable book yeah absolutely so you get I to the you know the uh the pot of petunias falling to the sky thinking oh no not again <laughs> exactly yeah. and the hyper intelligent shade of the color blue that's right there you go <laughs> Uh, so what's the running time on that? Uh, what do we got here? F- short one, five hours, 51 minutes. Oh, you could. some people could listen to that on their commute. So to download Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or any other one of Audible's 100,000 title library for free, go to audibletrial.com slash talkingdead. That's audibletrial.com slash talkingdead to check out the Hitchhiker's Guide or any other free audiobook.
Listener feedback. All right, we're going to start listener feedback this week with a call from Nikki in upstate New York. She's got two or three things uh, she wants to talk about, so let's uh, let's listen to what she's got here. Hey, guys, it's Nikki from upstate New York again. I had a couple of other things I wanted to talk to you about. Uh, the first thing is the age difference between Carl and Beth. I don't understand why you guys are making a big deal about it. It's only like four years. And if you think about it, and I am going to make a Star Wars reference here, that uh, Padme and Anakin were, I don't even know how far apart, because when they first met, Anakin was like eight years old and Padme was like 17. So I I don't see the big deal in in the age thing. Um, I would like to know what is up with that one goon that was staring at Michonne towards the end of last week's episode, because he was kind of giving her like, I don't know, he was staring at her a lot. It was kind of confusing for me. And uh, the last thing I wanted to talk to you guys about was I remember, I think it was Jason said he wanted to know where Axel got his mustache goop from. Uh, if you think about it, Axel kind of hasn't showered in like 10 months. So I don't know about you guys, but when I don't shower for like two days, my hair gets pretty greasy. So I'm assuming he's using his natural face grease to make his mustache the way that it is uh thanks guys bye all right so in reverse order here he's just wiping his face grease off and styling his mustache with it right okay well that makes perfect gross sense uh yeah much more than your suggestion of his own feces well it's still gross <laughs> it's, it is still gross uh, the goon staring at michonne did you notice this guy in the uh third episode i did he was always there. He was always in the background. He was just following them around. I didn't mention him in the recap, but I also sort of figured he was just the governor's like man on the street who was like eyeballing them to see what they did. He was yeah. like a governor inform governor informant. Yeah, he's gone now. He wasn't in this episode at all. Uh, he was not. Not that I saw. No, we didn't see as much, obviously, of no. them. But uh, I, that's what I figured. He was just sort of keeping an eye, keeping tabs on them for the governor, right? Yeah. And I'm sure he'll show up again. He'll 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 probably have a line someday. Either. Maybe you never know. And finally, Carl and Beth's age difference. Um, yes, I suppose Anakin and um, what's Padme. her name, Padme, yeah. uh, had a larger age difference, and no one thought that was weird. I thought it was weird. Okay, <laughs> the whole movie was weird. It was <laughs> the whole movie was weird. Yeah, um, but uh, you know, I don't know. It's thirteen and or. What is Carl, 11 or 12? 12, 12 and, and 17. 17 yeah. Sure, when they're, you know, when they're in their 20s or in their 30s, it's not going to be a big deal. But right now, it's just a, <clears throat> a little kid with a crush on his older friend. My, uh, my grandfather was 13 years older than my grandmother. Yeah, but did they get married when he was 15 and she was 2? No, he was 26 and she was 13. Oh, man. <laughs> Really? Yep. He, uh, their families. This is kind. Of, this and this is weird. And I thought this was weird my whole life. When uh, when they were young, their families knew each other. And the first time my grandfather met my grandmother, she was a baby, and he said, "I'm going to marry that girl." Welcome to small town Ontario. Yeah. And he uh, he married her, and they were uh, married every day. Uh, and he died when he was 96, and she was 80 something at that point, 82, I guess. And she's still alive right now. No, no, she died. Oh. This was, uh, yeah, he was born in 1899. It was a long time ago, but... Uh, okay, well, that is way weirder. 13 than, years. 
<laughs> that is way weirder than Carl and Beth. So uh, I take it all back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I still think it, no, I, I think it's weird. I uh, think it's good. very weird that my grandfather was that much older than my grandmother. And uh, an age spread at the age of 12, uh, if, an age spread of four years is a big deal mm-hmm. it's a there's a bunch of development that happens at a very quickly at that age mm-hmm. and uh that kind of and there was one look in this episode between them did you catch it <laughs> uh when when was it i i don't remember uh i think uh emily kenny was going in to see her father oh just Beth before going in. bringing him the crutches yeah and, right. uh, and carl was on the stairs cleaning his gun right and there was just it was a look there's all kinds of looks in this episode there was a look between laurie and rick there was a look between uh, carl and beth uh, there was looks going... Just for the record, he actually was cleaning a gun. Um, <laughs> that wasn't a euphemism for a 12-year-old boy doing something. Wes called in from Texas about Milton and how he is creepy. Hi, this is Wes. I'm calling from Arlington, Texas, home of the Dallas Cowboys, where that works. Anyway, I got to say, this Milton character is creepy. I'm writing it a comic books, so I don't know if that fleshes out differently throughout that, but he looks to me to be the kind of guy who's kind of like, you know, the doctor at Auschwitz for the Nazis or something. He's got a look about him that appears to me that he's really interested in uh, cutting people up and finding out what he can about them and why. So I think Milton's going to come out later on in the show to be a bigger player and more of a controlling factor in uh, Woodbury and what's going on. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens to uh, occupant number 74, the baby that's about to pop, where they lose the baby, but everybody thinks it's dead, and it turns up in uh, Dr. Milton's little lab there uh, to try and do some experiments to create some sort of genetic mutant that's immune to zombies or whatever, but I look to him to be more of a player in that aspect of the story. Anyway, I don't know if anybody else has that opinion, but he just rubbed me the wrong way and made me think he's really a devious guy. Anyway, that's it. Bye. Thank you, Wes. So, uh, Milton, yeah. weirdo. I, I definitely agree. He comes off as a weirdo. He does come um, off as a weirdo. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> Just the, uh, the 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 comparison to Joseph Mengele, mm-hmm. which was the the Nazi guy, Nazi doctor dude at the uh, at Auschwitz, was doing all kinds of the ex- uh, of experiments. Uh, yeah, that's a very bad thing to do, <laughs> generally. And uh, you know, I don't know if they were experimenting on the zombies or whether they were just studying them. It seemed to be more studying. Yeah, <clears throat> I think. Um, but you know, there's a fine line. Yeah, but studying and experimenting. Along these lines, though, <clears throat> Paul from Australia wrote in, and he writes, uh, Michonne is not the only one drinking the tea of the main characters. The other was Milton himself, the one whom appears to be the one who concocts it. The governor seems to be drinking it more than anyone else, and perhaps it is this that is causing him to slowly lose his mind and become evil. Could it be... Could it be, Jason, that the real mastermind is not the governor at all, but oh. Milton himself? This is an interesting theory. That is an interesting theory. Maybe the governor's just addicted to the tea. The governor is addicted to the truth serum, or the tea, <laughs> and the real mastermind is Milton. I would not put this past the writers of this show for a second. Yep. You know, throw a wrench in there, take it away from the comic. 
because um, Milton doesn't exist in the comic, uh, if I'm not mistaken. At least not in the same capacity. Right. And maybe we've got a sort of, you know, what do you call this, where the the, the second man is running the show. The Wizard of Oz? Yeah, we've got a Wizard of <laughs> We've got a Wizard of Oz scenario going here. <laughs> Ignore the man behind the curtain. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Milton is the man behind the curtain. I like this theory. Yeah, I do. I like this as well. That the uh, that the the tea he's making the tea, and everybody's just kind of addicted to it, and they're all having a uh, sodium pentothal party. Exactly, a truth party. So we'll find out. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's a good good theory. Anyways, Wes thinks he's creepy, and Paul thinks he's the real mastermind. Uh, Tim from the internet writes in about the governor's rifle, or the one that he picked up off of the soldier in right. the previous episode. The original M16 had a carrying handle built into the gun with the rear sight in it. Most modern uh, assault rifle-style guns have what is called a flat top. It is a rail on top of the gun where you can add a scope that is closer to the barrel for more accuracy. The gun that the governor is shooting is a flat top with no handle or scope attached. Scopes are much easier to shoot with because you only have to line up the crosshairs. With iron sights, you need to have the rear sight and the front sight perfectly aligned. He had no rear sight. In my opinion, it would be almost impossible to even hit the guy without that rear sight. Right. So there you go. Especially at that range. Oh, yeah. Especially at that range. If he was a foot and a half away, it'd be a lot easier. Yeah, you could shoot from the hip and still hit him then. Yeah. Um, Trevor from the internet writes in also on the soldier scene. He agrees with us that it was ill-conceived. And he says, I think the writers got too caught up in making two scenes rhyme. Early in the episode, Merle approaches Andrea and Michonne with his gun drawn. Later, when Michonne confronts him about that, he says something about how that's just the way the world is now. And he'd piss his pants if somebody came up to him with a gun, without a gun. And that's the guy that you should really be afraid of. When the governor arrives at the soldier's camp, he does so under a white flag and then kills them all, proving Merle's aphorism correct. Right. So just kind of making the scenes balance, right? And uh, interesting point, I thought. It's too bad that the soldier scene was still crap. But uh, <laughs> it, really was. it kind of did call back to this you know, little speech that Merle had earlier in the episode. Yep. Interesting point. Thank good, you, Trevor. Good stuff. <clears throat> um, on our Facebook page, Danielle writes, wanted to talk about the governor's fish tank heads a little. I think this scene was to give the audience a look into the darker aspects of the governor's psyche that he keeps hidden from most of Woodbury. Sorry, Chris, but I don't think it was to desensitize him. I think it was more of a macabre collection, something more akin to the ear necklace that Daryl had when he got a little cuckoo there for a minute. <laughs> We're definitely being given a clue to the depth of the governor's dark side. Yeah, where's, uh, where's his ear necklace? Yeah, we haven't seen it in a while. Um, and, and I, this is a good point. I, I think this is kind of the same thing. Yeah. You know, ear necklace is weird and creepy and it makes you a little strange. Uh, zombie heads and fish tanks is not all that different. No, I wouldn't. It's, it's a little more, uh, it's a larger in scale and a little more well thought out. Mm-hmm. First of all, you got to get the fish tanks. Yeah. You, you have to power the lights because there was lights in there. That is true. They do have solar panels, so maybe he's that's what he's using his solar energy for. Yeah, there's a bunch of batteries in that room. There was a big stack of batteries yeah. uh, beside the chair, but uh, yeah, it's a little more like a little more methodical, a little more planned out rather than just going, "Oh, another ear." Yeah, yeah, it's 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 more evil, but I guess that's why Daryl's a good guy and the governor's a bad guy. I don't know if it's evil per se. It's definitely uh, 
just, it's getting into the realm of a psychosis, that's for sure. It's more sinister. It's sinister, that's for sure. Right. It's very left-handed. Uh, the, uh, yeah, I'm not That'll sure. That'll get you in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> what? Saying left-handed people are sinister? No, sinister is the, uh, is the Latin term for left-handed. Dexter right. is the, is the uh, term for right-hand. All right. So when they say ambidextrous, it means you're too right-handed. There too you right-handed. go. Double right-handed. Amb- ambisinisterous would be two left-hands. That's not what you want. <laughs> No. See, that'll get me in trouble. Sorry, everyone who's left-handed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, continue. Anything else? Uh, no, I think I was done. All or right. at least derailed. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Sorry, I didn't mean to derail That's okay. you. Monica from Texas writes, <clears throat> uh, I had this moment after Carl shoots Lori that I felt like I wasn't ready to say goodbye to Lori's character. I think... That is what Rick felt. As torn as they were, he wasn't ready to let her go. Rick is on the brink of unraveling. It's going to get worse before it gets better for him. Um, And I thought this was an interesting comment because the internet is kind of on fire with hatred for Lori. Yes. And everyone wants to see her die. And now that she has, I kind of experienced the same thing as Monica. I'm like, oh, so soon? Well, we we didn't we got a couple of moments where uh, a couple of redeeming moments. We had a redeeming look between uh, Rick and Lori. Mm-hmm. You know, just to kind of a you know this is a step towards everything being all right. So we kind and we kind of liked her in that moment. She seemed very uh, full of light and she was glowing a little bit. Right? She was seemed to be happy and you know genuinely uh, was in love with her husband in that moment. And Rick seemed to be coming around a little bit. That's and this right. makes people feel good, and it made me feel good. And I'm like. Like, oh, maybe they can work it out. Plus, Lori was helping Herschel so much, right? Yeah. She was a big part of his instantaneous recovery. And then we had, uh, yeah, absolutely instantaneous. And he's got all kinds of magic, that guy. He has a magic shotgun. Oh, yeah. And he can uh, he can heal wounds. And a magic leg stump. Yeah, magic leg stump. Uh, Lord, and then we had the, the moment between Lori and Carl at the end. Yeah, which right. was extremely emotional. Yeah, very emotional. And, uh, you know, that was also a redeeming factor for, for Lori as well. So we kind of got that, oh. And you know what? She gave him really good advice, too, yeah. about not letting this world corrupt him. And uh, you're right. It it it, it was not, not much, but the, these few little scenes really started to redeem her. So you, you sort of want to see them flourish again, but yeah. that ain't going to happen. No, it is not. <laughs> All right, so Lee from Winnipeg sent in this call. Hey, I'm Lee from Winnipeg, and I think that you guys should start a, I mean, come on, uh, <laughs> showcase for your app. So, holy crap, did you see that? And after that, I mean, come on. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Lee, here, continue. <laughs> for your podcast. I mean, they just let T-Dog be awesome in this season and then now they've killed him off i can't believe it i am so angry he is such a great character and he just seemed to be awesome at the beginning of this season and now he's dead and also andrea i mean come on you're falling for the governor that's just ridiculous i think there's going to be a romance a dysfunctional romance there so you guys have a great podcast, and uh, hope to. I'm looking forward to your next podcast. Thanks. Bye. I mean, come on. That's a Jason. great idea. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Siri, we could have said that about the, the soldiers being exactly. killed. Come on. Come on. Um, 
so that's that's a that's a great idea and <clears throat> we've already talked about it but i did feel like that with uh, t-dog come on he's just getting good and you killed him off yeah laurie just getting good you killed her off yeah so uh thank you lee for that that was fantastic one more email from Sean in Sheffield, UK. This is an analysis of the final scene from Walk With Me, the previous episode. And uh, Sean has good points here, and I really just kind of wanted to read this. So okay. uh, here we go. Hey, guys, everything hangs on that extraordinary closing scene from the moment we watch Andrea watching him walk away. The camera tracks the governor as he passes the woman asleep on his bed without giving her a glance. She's in the archetypal cinematic pose of the wanton woman, sprawled, naked, and discarded. Are the women of Woodbury kept as chattel? Is this the Stepford Wives with added zombies? Is the tea for keeping women supine and sexually available? If so, then a program about the living dead now has a whole new kind of zombie. Will Andrea become one, too, before the scales fall from her eyes then comes the incredible look the governor gives the photograph of his family it certainly isn't one of love it's a mixture of desolation hatred and something i can't quite describe since losing his family the tendril of something malign has taken hold of him woodbury is the fevered and fractured mind of a broken and dangerous man-made manifest david morrissey what an actor i just wanted to read that because it was so good that's somebody who knows how to write an essay Sean from Sheffield, you are a talented wordsmith and a cunning <laughs> linguist. I applaud you. There you go. <laughs> uh, thanks to everyone for writing in. Now let's do some holy craps. Holy crap. Did you see that? <clears throat> All righty. We got some good ones this week. Um, I'm going to start with mine. Okay. Just because usually we start with everybody else's, and I'm going to go first this time. Okay. And my moment is going to be after Oscar shoots Andrew, Rick... So what's happening in this scene? Rick has his hand up. We talked about it. And he's just, he's not saying anything. He's just giving Oscar the look like, think about what you're about to do. Yep. And Oscar does, I guess. And he decides to shoot Andrew. Rick turns to look back and, you know, see Andrew go down. And when he turns back, he doesn't instantaneously and automatically assume that Oscar is now on their side. Right. He keeps his hand up and he gives him the same look until Oscar turns the gun around. And I just thought it was well done that Rick wasn't like, oh, phew, everything's good. Now let's keep going, <laughs> right? right? He, he yeah. sort of assumed that, okay, this might not be over yet. And I thought it was uh, just good good writing and good directing. Really. Yeah, that was a really good moment. You know, really good directing on, on their part. What have you got? What have I got? I'm going to do something uh, very subtle that I just thought was really, really neat. It was the, uh, it was the scene uh, where the governor was uh, hitting a bucket of balls off over the... Uh, <laughs> Off into the the zombies. Yep, and it was the uh, the contrast between the uh, the state of the street that he was hitting the balls towards, like there was cars and trash and zombies. It was just a nasty mess. And then we'd look at the at the governor and the street behind him, which was absolutely immaculate. Uh, it, the it, there was no trash. There was no nothing. Even the road itself looked freshly paved, mm-hmm. and the lines were uh, were drawn on very nice. Look, look like looked like it had just been paved and just been painted. Everything was absolutely beautiful. It's just a contrast of those two things: the outside world versus the inside world. Perfect juxtaposition, really. Yeah. Of of uh, the two different, yeah, two different. Uh states of being right now absolutely yeah and the uh an, an even <coughs> smaller thing that was uh, even subtler that i wanted to add in there too was the sound of the ball bouncing on the street when you hit the ball and it'd be dunk, 
dunk, dunk, smack. We hit a can or a car or something like that. Oh. Just the bouncing ball. That's uh, very observant of Because there's no, there was, there's nothing uh, out there to make a noise to, you know, there's no traffic noise or trains or anything. It was just the, the ball bouncing off of the, uh, off, off the pavement and then whacking into a car or something. Yeah. No, that's good. It was they, really neat. They're paying attention. Yeah. These guys know what they're doing. All righty. Uh, Dave, friend of the show, Dave, calls in with this. Hello, Jason. Hello, Chris. My name is friend of the show, Dave. I'm calling for my holy crap, did you see that moment? And my holy crap, did you see that moment has to be uh, not one of the obvious ones, because it was full of them this week, but uh, there was a conversation between Merle and the governor. And the holy crap, did you see that part was the, uh, the love and devotion that Merle had towards his brother. Previously, we've only seen sort of a taunting, bullying uh, relationship between the two. But this uh, shows that there's something a little bit meatier to Merle. Um, and I think that's going to prove to be more interesting dynamic than maybe we had thought originally. Anyway, discuss. Goodbye. So, yeah, uh, Merle shows his d- uh, deeper side, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of the first time we've seen this of, out of him, you know? Well, he also, you know, Merle, it's been a very long time since Merle has experienced this level of kindness, right? Uh, yeah, that's Finding true. him in a rough state and then uh, nursing him back to health and giving him responsibility and, uh, you know, believing in him that he can actually do a job uh, and, and pull it off and do it to the best of his ability. And he's really stepped up to that. Even though he's only the hammer. Everyone well, yeah. has their specialty, right? Yeah. No, it's good. And uh, but there's more to him than this, and it's coming out now, right? Yeah, absolutely, it's, it's coming out. So we're we're gonna see a little bit more, a different side of Merle as the season yeah. goes on. I think. I think, uh, and he also said uh, Daryl was always the sweet one, right? right? So I think we're gonna see that part of Merle as well. The non-sweet one means son of a bitch. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so cool. We'll look forward to that. Uh, Wayne from North Carolina writes in. Glenn's swift bifurcation of the zombie's head in the prison yard. Oh my God, that wow. was awesome. It was totally awesome. And I must admit, I almost went with that as my holy crap, just because watching the show, I actually did exclaim out loud when they did that. Because it, <laughs> I did too. You don't really, you don't see that happen that much. You know, everyone, it's, when someone slashes a zombie with a, with a, uh, a machete in this, it's one of those things where, you know, you, the, it doesn't really look real sort of thing. You know, yeah. the zombie, uh, the machete kind of goes by the zombie and the zombie jerks back and falls down, right? Yeah. In this case, that zombie's head just came right in half. Yep. And the body turned around and you could just see the nose and the mouth left on yes. the lower half of it as he fell down. It was gross and totally, totally unexpected. So I really like that choice. Yeah. It, uh, and, you know, not all heads are, com- you know, cleanly severed at the <clears throat> neck. Right. Sometimes when you're you're taking something, and you're trying to hack somebody's head off. You hack most of their head off. Yeah. Not uh, not necessarily the whole thing. In this case, it was mouth up. And this this reminded me of. Uh, are you familiar with uh, Mike the Headless Chicken? Nope. There was a chicken that had his most of his head cut off, and he lived for like forty five days. What? Oh, eighteen months. I just looked it up on Wikipedia. Mike the Headless Chicken. Uh, he lived for 18 months after his head had been mostly cut off. So there was a little bit of his lower brain left, was just enough uh, in order to keep the chicken alive, and they would throw food down his neck in order to keep the chicken what? alive. I'm telling you, Mike the Headless Chicken. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, it's a true story. 
<laughs> it's like a zombie chicken. He's got just enough of his brainstem to keep him going. Yeah, no higher functions, nothing. Just uh, you know, enough to keep the keep the body functioning. And if you feed it Could, long enough, it's fine. Uh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. Mike. Yeah, Mike the headless chicken. Look it up. Uh, was it a rooster? It was a chicken. So why was his name Mike? Because <laughs> he was headless and he lived for eighteen months. They had to name him. But aren't <clears throat> chickens female? They lay eggs. Yeah, I don't know. They, they called him Mike anyways. Mike the Headless Chicken, April 1945 to March 1947, also known as Miracle Mike, was a <laughs> Windicott chicken that lived 18 months after his head had been mostly cut off. So, I'm not wrong, right? Roosters are, are male chickens and chickens are female chickens. Yes. I, well, I believe chickens lay eggs and roosters do not. I don't know why they named him Mike. Okay, it doesn't matter. Miracle Mike, that's his name. The point is... That's her name, and it's a a headless chicken. The point is, this chicken (laughs) lived for 18 months without a head. Yes. So that's what uh, uh, Glenn did to that zombie, was cut off most of its head, so uh, go back and make sure it's dead. Yeah, you better. That thing's probably pulling itself along the ground with its nostrils right now. Yeah. (laughs) Scott from the internet writes in, and this is comic spoilery, everybody. This is comic spoilers coming off on Scott's holy crap. He writes, when the governor, Andrea uh, Michonne, and the scientist were eating breakfast, the scientist referred to walkers as it and not he or she. If you watch the scene again, he really emphasized the word she and seemed like he was referencing the governor. Do you think he could be foreshadowing an appearance of the governor's beloved niece or daughter, Penny? Uh, Short answer, yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Very good. Sarah from Indiana writes... Andrea giving bedroom eyes to the governor. In the previous two seasons, Andrea gave me the impression that she was a tough, take-no-crap-from-nobody type of woman. This episode, we see her obviously flirting with the governor, who is being shady the whole time. Yeah, she's flirting with everybody. As we know, she's drinking that flirty tea. <clears throat> truth truth serum and flirt-inducing tea. <laughs> Power of suggestion tea. There you go. That covers it all, I guess. Yeah. Eric from the internet writes, Hey guys, did you catch uh, when Carl and Beth first get into the prison cell in episode one of the season and Carl is about to jump on the top bunk, Beth mentions something like, Not bad, eh? And Carl says, Better than the storage place. Uh, check it out. Oh. Yeah, and I don't know how we missed this uh, in the last episode, but I went back and watched it. He does. He says, Better than the storage place container or place wow we missed that totally missed it which is obviously a reference to the webisodes so i guess at some point they were living in those storage spaces maybe and the storage space was probably an existing thing that the family had and that's why all their stuff was there and uh that's i guess they went there because they thought they'd be safe there for a little while they're not near their, their rick's house though they're not anywhere near where rick used to live well, I, I think I don't think it was the storage place, but I think that it was a reference to the webisodes. But I think maybe it was they stated the different storage space. Okay, so maybe right. Basically, what happens is Beth says that the the prison cell is pretty gross, and Carl says, "Yeah, remember the storage units." Right. So it's a uh, interesting reference. I'm surprised that no one caught it before. Yeah, that's a good catch. <clears throat> Thank you, Eric. Mike from the internet writes. The entire scene of Maggie delivering the baby and Carl shooting Lori and having the flashback to season two and with Rick's no more kid stuff speech he gives to Carl. So, yeah, I mean, this whole episode, uh, Killer Within, could almost be a holy crap, did you see that? Yep. But uh, that's a good choice. Emily from the internet writes, my holy crap, did you see that? Is this 
when Carol ran out as T-Dog uh, bit it, she was wearing her weird head wrap thing. And But isn't that what Daryl picked up off the floor when they found T-Dog's body and said she didn't make it? How did it get there? Yeah, she came back. Which, uh, yeah, we've talked about. She came back. It was some sort of weird continuity thing. I don't know, but it, it's jumped out at me, too. Maybe she was uh, she was lost. And she was trying to find her way out and came back that way, opened the door and said the, saw the two zombies still eating him and then uh, eating a T-Dog. And she tried to get away and uh, in doing so, she dropped her headscarf. Or she threw it at them to distract them while she ran away. Or maybe it was like Hansel and Gretel. And it's like, if I leave this here, I'll know how to get home. Oh, yeah. She's leaving a trail for herself. I don't know. It didn't work for Hansel and Gretel. It's not going to work for her. No, I don't think so. Uh, another Emily from Iowa writes... Uh, the look on Carl's face after he shot his mother and when Rick found out. It was cold and hard and amazing. He is going to turn into that cold-hearted badass we see in the comics. Yep. <clears throat> Shannon from the internet writes, Herschel taking out a walker on one leg with his crutches. I cheered. <laughs> yeah, That's when him and Beth are running for safety behind the gate. A walker's right behind them and he hits yep. it with Beth the crutch. Beth says, uh, look out behind you, and he leans on the wall so yep. he doesn't fall over. That was... Uh, uh, very unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, it was awesome because yeah. he took out a walker with a crutch. It's true. Uh, all right. Thanks to everyone who wrote in with holy craps. There's a whole bunch on our Facebook page too, but this podcast would be going on all night if we if we read them all. So appreciate everyone who participates there and who writes in. And uh, like I said, if we don't read your feedback right away, we will do some all feedback shows during the hiatus and uh, hopefully you'll... You'll get on then, because there's lots of great feedback coming in all the time. Or we'll start a new podcast called Holy Crap, Did You Hear That Podcast? <laughs> there's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, one more quick thing before we go. Next week on The Walking Dead. Um, next week's episode is called Say the Word. Who Say knows the Word. what that means. And uh, Samantha from Ohio wrote in, and this could be spoilery for next week's episode of The Walking Dead. So for once... We are potentially spoiling something for an actual future episode of the TV show. Right. When we spoil the comics, I like to warn people, but I don't feel too bad because this podcast is about the show right. primarily. Um, but this might be spoilery for next week's Walking Dead, everybody. Okay. So, um, Dave, cover your ears. Yeah, everybody who doesn't want to hear it, cover your ears or uh, just turn it off right now and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks yeah. for listening. Yeah. Samantha writes, My holy crap moment happened when they were doing the preview for next week, and it appears Rick is in the boiler room where Lori had the baby, and he says, she's not here. Makes me think that Carl didn't actually shoot his mom, and she has turned and is walking the halls of the prison. Son of a bitch. <laughs> um, I haven't watched this yet, or at least not... Uh, no, I haven't seen it Not either. a second time. They do air it after the, like the airing on AMC, um, but maybe I wasn't paying attention or I missed it or something like that. So I didn't catch this part. Um, but if indeed that's what's going on here, it seems like maybe zombie Lori is up and walking around with her guts hanging out. Or somebody took her. <clears throat> or somebody took her. Yeah. I'm just yeah. trying to, I'm going through the cast of characters, uh, literally and figuratively and, uh, trying to think of who would, Carol. Carol, Carol. would take her. Yeah. Carol took her outside and is going to give her a proper burial. Or is still trying to revive her. Who knows? Well, she's got a gunshot wound in the head in that scenario, so reviving her is probably not the easiest thing to do. Continuing with the spoiler theme right now, um, I don't think it was revealed in this episode that the baby 
is actually a girl. It's right. not a male baby. Um, even though during the delivery, Maggie goes, I, I can see him. Um, it's actually a girl, and I do believe that is referenced in uh, or revealed in the next episode. Right. Why would it be a secret? I, I'm pretty sure they... they uh, secret gender. Yeah, secret. Um, I'm pretty sure they just let, let it out there. So uh, maybe Rick is referring to she, the baby, and it's sort of out of context in the preview. Who knows? She's not here? Well, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating. Hopefully right? somebody's taking care of the baby and just, just didn't leave her. Yeah. Well, you know. I the, put her in the boiler room. I don't know what's wrong. The, the first thing that occurred to me, uh, we got to wrap this up, but the first thing that occurred to me when Lori was like, save the baby and let me die, was like, there's no logic in that. How are they going to feed this baby? Oh, yeah. That occurred to me, too. This baby has nothing to eat. It, I mean, without the mother, she's the only <laughs> lactating woman in the group. Yeah. And um, without the mother, there's no formula. I mean, they're not going to have easy access to baby formula. This baby is going to have nothing to eat. Prisons typically have very little baby formula. And even if they did, it would be long expired. Sorry, that's that's just a speculation. I really don't know. Yeah, well... I'm, I'm pretty sure, though. I'm pretty sure. Um, uh, they're going to have to address this because it makes no sense if the baby is there and thriving and there's nobody feeding it. If only there was a fortified town nearby where uh, it was organized enough and maybe even pregnant or uh, yeah. women that gave birth recently. Yeah, who or who's about to give birth. Yeah. So they should um, go out looking for formula and maybe stumble across such a town. I have a feeling that may be what's going to happen. I was lying in bed last night after this episode thinking about it because it was stuck in my brain, and that thought popped into my head. There is a pregnant woman in Woodbury who is about to give birth, and this puts Rick and everybody in the prison in the position of needing something from the governor. We have a baby that is starving to death. Yep. We need that woman to be a wet nurse for our baby. You can preach you food, right? Well, that's baby's still too young for that. But uh, yeah, you can't give a baby anything but liquid formula for the first, uh, or breast milk for the first little while. That's a newborn baby. That baby's going to die like very, very soon. Oh yeah, yeah. Babies, the first thing they have to do is eat, basically, right? And they eat a lot in the in the beginning. It's it's uh, the baby's going to start losing weight very quickly, and yeah. it doesn't take much for you know what a seven pound maybe baby to lose too much weight that it's at in danger of starving. So it's it's kind of insane that they were like you know let me die save the baby. It, this is upsetting me. It makes far more sense yeah. to try and save the mother even at the expense of the baby. And I'm sorry if that's harsh. Yeah. Or shoot the mother in the head <laughs> well, right off the bat. Yeah, that, that doesn't help the baby at all. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't hurt. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's uh, wrap this sucker up. Thanks for sticking with us, everybody. If you want to give us a call on the Zomb line, you can do so at one 483 zomb is 1-866-483-9662. It is a toll-free call, and we will never answer the phone. Please just call and leave your thoughts and comments. That's a promise. It really is. We are on Twitter at Talking Dead, which I haven't checked in a little while, and uh, I apologize for that, but I got a notification from Twitter today that there are a lot of people with tweets for me, so I need to go and check that out. Oh, if you've geez. tweeted at us, I am sorry that I haven't responded, but I'm not so good at the Twitter. That's my problem. No, I'm not good at the Twitter reader. Eater. Eater. <laughs> Twitter reader. Twitter reader. <laughs> um, uh, but we are there. 
And we're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. I would like to, again, as I do almost every episode, send a huge shout out to all the new people that are finding out about us on Facebook. I think it was only last week or the week before that we crossed 2,000 likes. We've now crossed 3,000, That's right? right. Yep, 3,200. Man, oh man. Welcome, everybody. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, coming to check us out, and I hope you stick around and participate. So Welcome. Um, so that's that, facebook.com slash thetalkingdead. And, of course, you can email us at talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. Those are all the ways to contact us, and uh, we'll be back next Monday after episode five of the show yep called say the word until then my name is chris my name is jason thank you for listening (laughs) 